So I'm, I'm recording now. I'll, I'll edit out some of the stuff that I have to. But I, I just want to say, I, I typically lead the way even when Mike's on because he's so lazy. He's just <laughs> he's just so damn lazy, Jeremy. That's the problem. Okay. We can. Uh, I'm gonna do the countdown. We'll get into this. It's the internet. You're busy. Let's do this. Welcome to the Games Beat Decides podcast. This is the podcast where we decide everything happening in the world of video games, so you don't ever have to think for yourself. I'm your host, Jeffrey Grubb. With me is Jeremy Horowitz. Jeremy, how's it going? It's going well. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, today, me and Jeremy are going to be talking about some news. We're going to be talking about some games. Got a pretty beefy news section, so uh, we're going to spend a lot of time on that. Uh, so no second segment today, uh, and no Mike Minotti. We have we've kicked him to the curb. I think we finally fired him. We'll see if it sticks this time. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, Jeremy, I think we we could probably hop in kind of what we've been doing. Oh, you know what? First, I always forget to do this. Let me just do the credits real quick. Get that out of the way. Uh, if you guys want more from me and Jeremy, Mike, and uh, everyone from Gamesbeat and Venturebeat, you can go to gamesbeat.com. If you have something to share with us, you can email the podcast at gamespluspodcast at venturebeat.com. That's the plus sign in there. Uh, we're also on Twitter. That's uh, at GBDecides or at GamesBeat. If you are uh, watching the video version of this, which will go up at some point, uh, and you're watching on Facebook or YouTube or whatever, uh, you can get the audio version of this show from Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and anywhere where pods are caught. Finally, if you like the show, rate us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps people uh, find it and discover it and and then they rate it and it just it's a self-perpetuating machine it's very good okay so yeah that's that's that out of the way uh jeremy thanks for coming on and do this we're doing this like on a kind of friday-ish afternoon uh i put this off all week we recorded it friday last week and then i'm like oh, mike's on vacation i need to just figure out a time to do this and i'm like hey jeremy come do this with me and you showed up you're a real champ it is my pleasure to be a part of this, and uh, it's fun to be able to talk about games for a change. It's uh, I spend a lot of time focusing on Apple things and VR things and 5G, so it's, uh, being able to talk games is, is a, a joy. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know what you're talking about, so that's I'm like, okay, this is good. I have backup here. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I mean, let, let, I mean, we can get into what we've been playing. I, the, the one thing I want to ask you the most about right now is, is actually Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze. I know you've been playing that. I... Uh, played that game on the Wii U, and I keep, I keep almost buying it on the Switch. Um, is this your first experience with the game? Like now that now that it's on the Switch, now that it's out on the Switch? Yeah, it, it is. I mean, I was familiar with the title from when it came out in the Wii U, and it was just it hit at exactly the wrong time for me when it came out on that platform. It was sort of like uh, enough platformers were out at that point. I was thinking of maybe not continuing to even have a Wii U because I was just sort of getting tired of where it was going. So I skipped it back then, and but yet as soon as I got the Switch, it was one of those things like, I really, really hope they port this. And then they did, so I was like super hyped to be able to finally check it out. And you're having a good time with it? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I spent some time talking with Anthony, um, our social media editor, who had played the Wii U version extensively. And, you know, Mike also had some comments on, you know, what he thought about the game back when it came out for the Wii U. And so I was sort of on the edge, like looking to see whether they had fixed things or kept them, you know, pretty much the same. And, you know, I think that a lot of the complaints that came out when the game was first released were focused on some pacing issues that it had and some challenge issues that it had. Um, it, it was super difficult. and The boss fights went on for a while. And they've tried to mitigate some of those factors in the Switch version. They made a, a funky mode, which I think... It's probably one of the funniest things I've ever seen Nintendo do. Um, 
the funky mode makes the game easier for kids to play and easier for some adults to get through. Um, but it doesn't a hundred percent make the game like ultra easy. Um, but the boss fights do tend to drag on and that's, that's an issue that was there before it's an issue that's there today. And, uh, besides that, the game is otherwise fantastically paced and beautiful. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still not sure if I'll play it again. I'm just, I think it's one of those ones I'll, I'll wait maybe till next year when it goes on sale finally from Nintendo for a little bit uh, yeah. and pick, pick it up then and play it again. Because it's a game I, I really do uh, I have fond memories of playing on the Wii U, um, and I would play it again. But thankfully, there are enough games right now where I can have some self-control and just not spend that $60 and let it sit there forever. So The thing that's interesting to me about this one is how many people have gotten fixated on the price. You know, I was... I know that that was a major, major factor for me as well. And it was part of the reason why I didn't jump into it on the Wii U. And then this one, it's like it's 60 bucks. It's even more expensive than the Wii U version was. So it's, I, I've seen so many people getting worked up about that. And I, I can't in any way tell you that like, you know, you need to jump in for 60 bucks. It's not Super Mario Odyssey. It's not Breath of the Wild. Those games, I think, have redefined what you should expect for that price point. So yeah, so hang, hang out and wait until it goes on sale and you'll be happy. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, I think that's probably pretty smart advice. Um, so, what else have you been playing? What else have you been up to? Uh, the one that I love talking about because it's such a weird thing how I wound up with the game is Tempest Four Thousand. Yeah. Um, what's what's Mister Minter been up to? So, it, what's super weird is that the game popped up on the PlayStation Store for a few hours, and it was an accident that Atari even posted it on there. Huh, I, di- I didn't even hear about this. When did this happen? It, this happened like, it was like a month ago. Okay. Three weeks or a month ago or something. So it popped up, like apparently they were originally going to release it um, on a certain day, and then they decided to change it. But the game was on the store just long enough that people like me, who had been waiting and waiting and waiting for it, jumped on it. And so like only a handful of people grabbed it. And so I've, I've had the game now for about a month, and I just keep coming back to it because I, I love Tempest games and it's just so cool to be able to play it again. So for the people that don't know, Tempest games are these so, like yeah, tunnel shooters, like from like the old, old days of video games, you know, the very early game. Jeff Minter, the creator of Tempest, or did he create Tempest or did he do Tempest 3000? Um, temp- his first Tempest game was Tempest 2000. 2000, um, okay. So, yeah, and he did 3000 for the new one, and then 4000. He also did one called uh, TXK. TXK, which, right. And that, that came out for Vita. Um, and so this this is the officially Atari-licensed version of TXK. Right. Basically. Atari actually sued him so that he would stop selling TXK. Um, yeah. And he got very frustrated. And it was pretty. So it's pretty odd that he came back and was like, all right, we're going to do this deal, and I'm going to make a game for Atari after all that happened. Uh, yeah. so, so, I mean, Tempest 4000, like it, it lives up to this, to this series. Is it, is it, you said you keep coming back to it. So like, what's it doing? It is a very strange title. It's strange in that, uh, it's frustrating. Um, you know, even if you're familiar with playing Tempest 2000, right. 3000, it's, it's frustrating at first because the controller is a little bit difficult to get used to. And the, the game is sort of threadbare in terms of, um, options so if you want to listen to one the new soundtrack that's in there you have to figure out a button command just to even find the new soundtrack it actually has three <laughs> it has three separate soundtracks built in so you can actually listen to tempest 2000 soundtrack a remixed version that had been released on cd and then part of the uh, Temp- tempest or txk soundtrack is in there too so the music is a really really big deal with this game because it had some of the best tracks really ever mm-hmm. in, you know gaming history 
Um, and then in terms of the gameplay experience, uh, it feels a lot like TXK. It feels a lot like Tempest 2000. Um, you're just, you're effectively moving a, uh, sort of like a, a claw like object around these so-called webs. And you move from left to right across these webs, shooting into a tunnel or shooting into a plane where things from the distance keep coming closer to you and you've got to take them out and they just keep getting more and more numerous and difficult to deal with. So it's, um, the levels are challenging and they, they get challenging pretty quickly. But for some reason, when you're listening to the music and you're watching all the insane psychedelic visuals the game has, you just keep wanting to come back and give it another shot. And that's right. it's the mark of a great game when you feel like addicted, despite the fact that it's just kicking your ass every time you're playing it. Is this, is this PlayStation VR? It's not. Although you can, you know, I've I've tried running it through VR, and it's strangely compelling, despite the fact that it doesn't have official VR support. Right. It's just the the virtual screen, but uh, I yeah, imagine that would be pretty cool still. Yeah, it it does it does work pretty well, just because everything seems very close up to your face. Um, but there's there have been claims that he's working on VR stuff. I just don't know if he's going to implement it before the game gets its official second release or whatever you want to call it. But I, I would, I can't wait for it to go VR because it just seems so perfectly suited to that. Right. Well, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those ones where I'm like, I, I always want to check out a new Jeff Minter game. I, I like the space llama as well. That's one I'll go back to every once in a while for, you know, not for long periods of time. I won't play it for hours, but I'll play it for like a half an hour here or there. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. Still like those games. Yeah. Each one of the titles has something sort of weird going on. Right. He released a VR title called Polybus or Polybus, which I haven't had a chance to play. But right. That's the recent like one it. that came out that I was, I was hearing people talk about that. I was like, I was conflating that with Tempest 4000 for a little bit. So when that came out, I'm like, wait, are, they, are people talking about Tempest 4000? Is this what this is? But no, yep. it's, it's different. Yep. And he's got some other thing that he's working on too right now. If you follow his, his Twitter account, he does post a lot of updates on going out for Indian food and right. his farm. Um, but occasionally he will talk about one of the, uh, the games that he's working on. And it, it, I don't even know what the name is, but he is working on something else too. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. I definitely want to check that out. Uh, so you, you also have a uh, street fighter five arcade edition, uh, the DLC on your list. Tell me about that. Yeah. So, um, I had actually wanted to write an editorial for games beat about this because I'm so angry about what's been going on with street fighter. I, I am like a hardcore long-term street fighter fan and have been mm -hmm. playing the series actively since, you know, fighting street, you know, street fighter one days. Right. And so, yes, I bought into the season pass thing. Yes. I'm, you know, anxiously awaiting each one of the new characters as they're coming out. And, uh, they released this, new one named i think it's i'm not sure if it's falky or falk um a girl who's just she's carrying a rod of some sort and it is maybe the worst dlc character they've ever put into the street fighter series well actually sorry i forget about the entire uh ex series which had a lot of a lot of questionable 3d characters they put in there but they this one even by the standards of street fighter 5 um just seems like sort of a lazy character edition and I'm really, really waiting for Capcom to get its act together, get the, uh, the fight money system fixed in this game and start getting some better characters in because it's, it's weird to see a street fighter series just become sort of oddly stagnant, but that's where it seems right now. Yeah. I mean, how did they screw this up so bad? I mean, it just feels Microtransactions. like transactions. Yeah, Tra man. Tra 
I mean, I mean, there's there's two elements to it that have really just broken this the series for me. And by the way, again, I, I've bought pretty much every game in the series, and I've loved so many of them. But um, you know, what's happened with Street Fighter over the course of the last you know couple of years is that they released a game that was basically feature incomplete. It didn't have an arcade mode. It only had a handful of characters. It only had a handful of backgrounds. And then they try to turn it into a game as a service where you basically have to keep on buying stuff to populate the game. And although they said that you wouldn't have to pay real world money for a lot of it, um, they made earning in-game money a pain enough for people that if you want to unlock a new stage, you have to earn you know 70,000 uh, fight dollars in the game. And that takes forever. And not only does yeah. it take forever, but it's just, it's grinding and it's not fun. And they, they managed to take a game that everybody thinks the gameplay is phenomenal and make it into a bunch of very rote exercises, doing training or weird combos or doing other things that earn these piddling amounts of money. And it takes a game that could otherwise have been a fantastic fighting game and makes it into just like a, a money grab, a constant money grab. Yeah, it just it feels like they completely messed up that that I mean the balance or just the they came out with something that you like you said was feature incomplete and I think that's going to get people off on the wrong foot anyhow. But then when you when it feels like you are doing that in order to first rush something out, but also to charge for a lot of things later, it's just not it's not going to work. I mean, but but yeah. I mean, there's definitely been games that came out that have been you know had middling reviews and people weren't happy with that turned things around and still embraced microtransactions i mean the game that I mean, we mention this every week now but rainbow six siege from you know ubisoft that game was kind of fizzled when it launched in december 2015 and has since turned into this massive success this game i can't stop playing that a lot of people really love even if people do also like to complain about ubisoft and the microtransactions here and there for, for various reasons uh but in general people are very happy with the game does it feel like capcom can get to that place i mean it's been a couple years now already well the thing that's interesting is that the arcade edition is actually that was supposed to be their attempt to fix it so arcade edition bundled up season one and season two characters and the stages i think i think the stages from season one and season two and put it into a nice neat wrapper so that if you hadn't already earned them throughout the game, you were able to get them. Uh, I think that's how they did it. Mm -hmm. Um, and then season three got released at the same time so that they would add an additional six characters in. Um, so when they launched the arcade edition, the whole premise was that they were going to do it in order to, um, you know, complete the package and give people, give new people a chance to buy in at a reduced price. And they also said they were going to be fixing the fight money system so that it was going to be more reasonable. And they were going to be doing all these uh, weekly events and giving you opportunities to earn a ton more money. Most of that hasn't really materialized. Um, the events that they've done from week to week have been like sort of bogus. Um, the fight money has gotten cut in half from where it was before. So, they they had the opportunity to make it better right there. And if they had relaunched it and fixed it at that moment, I think that they could have definitely brought a huge number of new people on. But instead, all the people who had been playing the game up until that point saw, you know, the amount of money that they could earn cut in half. 
and all these other sort of changes that were made that were, you know, in some cases it made the actual core gameplay better, but it certainly didn't improve things on the transactional side. And I think for people like me, the transactional is really where all the issue is. And it's just, it's loading up the game every single time and having the loading time take forever and then having it effectively trying to convince you to find ways to earn points or money for things as opposed to just going in there and fighting and having a good time playing through arcade stuff or versus mode. Right. Okay. Yeah. It just sounds like such a mess. I, I, uh, and it's coming at a time or the mess has been happening for a while now, but it's happening at a time where, uh, other developers are capitalizing. They're releasing games that in the, you know, in the fighting game space that are, uh, doing well, at least in terms of getting people excited, Dragon Ball Fighters is, is clearly the yep. the big thing there. Uh, but even even like I think Tekken Seven really benefited. Yep. Like people were very into Tekken Seven. Uh, it you know it's always had its scene, but it seems like that scene has been reignited by people just being like, okay, I can get into this and just not think about Street Fighter for a while, and that's that's nice. Yeah. Um, well, Tekken Tekken Seven is actually a perfect example of how to do it the right way. Tekken right. Seven launched with this unbelievable roster of characters, fantastic backgrounds, uh, you know, everything you could want. And then they said, listen, we're going to offer, you know, three DLC characters and each one of those characters, if you buy them, you get their stage along with them. Um, and you know, there might be some extra bonuses and stuff that you can get as well. If you put Tekken bowl in as another downloadable thing, but they didn't try to nickel and dime you. And that, by giving you a full roster to begin with and giving you plenty of content in stages, it doesn't feel as ridiculous when they say, okay, you know, we want eight bucks now for a stage right. and an additional character. Whereas with street fighter, you don't even get a stage along with characters. You just get the raw character and then they, they throw, you know, go out and earn some funny fight money so that you can get Sakura's background or something. And that's, it's ridiculous. So it, it, by the way, another cool thing with Tekken seven is that, you know, geese Howard, if you're a fan of the, um, fatal fury series or King of fighter series, they did a rendition of geese Howard in 3d in his stage. That is phenomenal. So, uh, people who are fans of that or of, um, final fantasy, um, they, they brought in cross characters from other series. And in each case, they did a really, really great job with them. Yeah, it seems like those characters actually work in in ways that are very surprising. So that yeah. that's very cool. Yep. Um. True. So yeah, I I I just have one game that I, I want to talk about. I have been I've been very busy. I haven't like sat down to like really put into the time with the games that I've like wanted to play. Uh, Battle or uh, Battle Battle Mech or Battle Tech being the biggest one there. Um. But I have I have put in some rounds into Fortnite uh, because of this new Infinity Gauntlet mode where you get to play as th- play as Thanos if you are able to get the Infinity Gauntlet. Which um, you did, you did. Yes, right? I did. I was able to. I, at first, I thought I was never going to do it, and, I, and that was the first thing I wrote. I, I went in there, and I'm like, uh, I'm like, I'm just going to keep getting shot. So here's how it works. So you, you jump into a map with 100 other player, 99 other players. Uh, just like normal, onto the island. Uh, the only difference is is that the circle shows up very early, and that circle is going to tell you the general idea of where the gauntlet is going to drop. Um, you, you, so it's also a solo only mode, so you're not going to be able to team up with your friends in duos or or, or, or a full four person team. Um, but you, you know, you jump in there, and what I was doing at first was I saw the circle. I learned pretty quickly that the gauntlet was going to go into the center of that circle. Pretty much, it's 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 random, but it's mostly in the center of the circle. So I was dropping down, trying to get weapons somewhere near that 
uh, that, that center of the circle. And then I would try to run towards where Thanos was. Uh, he always appears on the minimap and he always appears on the compass up, up above you. So you can always orient, orient yourself towards where he's at and just start running to get there. Um, if someone, if someone kills Thanos, he also drops it. So the gauntlet's there. And then you also see that on the minimap. So what, what was happening was I would, I'd get kitted out and I would head, head out of, you know, the building or the town, wherever I was at and start running towards him. But everyone else was doing that as well. So, you know, and we're all moving in on this, this smaller and smaller points. We're all getting closer together at the same time. So you would see a couple people ahead of you, but there, there was likely always also going to be like five people behind you. So I just kept getting shot in the back and I'm like, yep. this, this mode's just never going to work for me. I'm never going to be able to fight my way through this to, to get the gauntlet. Uh, the only way it would work is if I just get it from the beginning. And that doesn't sound like fun. Cause it's probably just this random dice roll thing, but I went back and it, it might help that I uh, started playing on the Xbox instead of the PC. And, you know, I got matched with other console players. This, this uh, strategy that I started to use might work better on console, but, but I don't know. It could work on PC. What I did was I started trying to just actually drop and get the gauntlet right away um, by, you know, you drop out of the bus and you hit the glider right away. So you can hover in there for a really long time. And, what happens is once the gauntlet is like entering the atmosphere or whatever, it makes this really loud noise and it makes this small explosion that you could see if you're, if you're like surveying the horizon. And I would just try to get in a position where I knew again, I was close to the center of that circle. I'd be looking around trying to figure out where the, where the thing was going to drop. And as soon as I saw it, I would try to drop and fly to it. And then, you know, eventually the glider auto deploys and you have to slowly go down to the ground um, and I did this like three times and that third time it worked. Um, I was able to, I, I was able to like perfectly line it up. I was in a perfect position where at the altitude, altitude I was at, I could still drop and fly towards it for a little bit. And then when the thing auto deployed, I was above a lot of other people, but that meant that they hit the ground before me. And once they start running on the ground, they're much slower than someone who's just gliding through the air. And I was able to kind of glide above it and get like 10 feet above it and then just drop straight down. And I was probably like maybe five seconds ahead of the next closest person. They were very close. I saw their shadow as I was looking down at the gauntlet on the ground and I was about to make contact with my feet to finally pick it up. Uh, they're, they're, yeah, their shadow like whipped across it. I'm like, oh God, they're going to get it before me. But they must have assumed I was already there and they backed off and I, I picked it up and got to be Thanos. Uh, once, once I was actually him... It was, it's very fun. It absolutely is. Uh, he's got three basic abilities. He can shoot laser beams out of his hands. He can punch you very, very hard and he can jump really, really high and then glide if he goes high enough. Um, and all of those abilities are on a cooldown. I mean, the punch you can use pretty, pretty rapidly, but it, it is a small, like a micro cooldown. Uh, the, the lasers, uh, once you activate the lasers, they have to go through their entire animation of shooting like you know, a series of like eight lasers out of your fist. Uh, so you're committed to that. And then once you use it, you can't just spam it again. Uh, so I was, I, I was getting used to using him. Um, and I got maybe three kills and was ganged up on by a bunch of other players and taken out, which was, you know, it's going to happen. But I, I, it was, it was, I could see how people can like really get him and keep him for a long time, but you really do have to get used to the, the cadence of those cooldowns, I think. And then once you do that, you'll really wreck house. Well, yeah, I mean, given the fact that they've created, they decided to pick a character who is obviously the most super powered character in the right. entire Marvel universe. 
just finding a way to balance him out so that he's not ridiculously overpowered. I mean, can you imagine if he had all the various Infinity Stone powers and was able to you know, yeah. play, play with all those in the game? But I, I think that's the coolest, probably the coolest tie-in I've ever seen for a movie ever to be just randomly thrown into a game is super smart. Yeah, it's super smart. It's really well done. Um, they do try to like tie those powers into like the attacks a little bit. When you uh, when you shoot someone with the power beams, it, it does say in italics like power like Thanos used or, or yeah, someone succumbed to the power of Thanos and powers in italics. And then if you punch somebody, it's like your time ran out, and it's like time, and like the punch is all green. And I'm like, I don't, how is the time? How's the punch? A time thing like it's it's not like you punch yeah. them and they like go through like a slow motion animation or anything it's just like this really cool big haymaker it didn't make a lot of sense so I'm like okay you're stretching that a little bit um but yeah they they you know it, the balancing was always going to be hard and they definitely they came out and maybe he was a little bit too powerful to begin with they nerfed him almost within the first hour of him being live um they got rid of some of his shield so when he takes some damage. Uh, if you get a few shots on him, you're going to probably going to take away his, uh, quite a bit of his life bar. And then that life bar is not going to replenish. Uh, so a couple of sustained attacks is going to take him out for good. Um, and you know, that I, I get that. I get why they want to make sure that people can kill Thanos. Cause this is a limited time mode. They want to give people a chance to feel like they can fight back and get that gauntlet for themselves. Uh, that's important, but at the same time, it's a limited time of thing. And if it's just this weird thing where this one character is way too powerful, that's also kind of cool. Uh, it's just kind of this fun distraction from what is clearly a beefy, uh, uh, you know, main game that everyone's spending tons of time in and will continue to do so once this mode is gone. Uh, so yeah, like you said, very, very smart stuff. I, I was, I was fascinated to see that the idea apparently came from the Russo brothers calling up Epic games and being like, Hey, we want to do this. Cause we've been playing this game on set a lot. So let's make it happen. Um, seems, it seems like the sort of thing that they've got all these kids in school right now who are playing the game actively during school. They've got a movie that literally just came out in theaters that they want to promote. And what better way to pull that off and have everybody in every school in the country, you know, maybe even around the world talking about it than to just drop this awesome character into right. the game and just let people scramble for it. It just seems like the smartest marketing to me. Yep. And it's like it's a, a game that's on mobile already where a lot of these crossovers th- crossover things happen. So it's, uh, yeah, it works and it's, it's lightweight. I'm sure it didn't take a ton of effort. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very cool. I will say, I still think the coolest movie crossover thing in a game was that, uh, fast and furious, um, uh, Forza horizon thing. That was like a standalone <laughs> DLC where, um, yeah, it that was, that was really well done. I had a lot of fun with that. You got to drive around in a uh, Vin Diesel's muscle cars. It, it was cool. Um, that, yeah, that, that's, that's smart. I mean, it, it's, I think there's a major difference between doing a full DLC drop where you've actually yes. developed something like that. And then something that's just a quick, a quick hit. That's going to get people very excited for a brief period of time. When is this, when is the last date for playing Thanos? And I don't even, I don't even know if they've announced it. They definitely didn't announce it on the, like the day they, they revealed this thing. Uh, or like just a couple of days ago now, uh, they didn't say an end date. And then on the first day, I know they didn't say an end date either. Cause I was looking for it and it's just like, it wasn't out there. So I would imagine a couple of weeks, maybe, I, I guess maybe they want to see how it goes before they say, Oh, this is when we're pulling it. Um, maybe it'll last a week, maybe it'll last a month, but I, I would imagine it's not going to go too deep into the summer. So, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that this is going to be, they're going to do a few more of these events throughout the course of the next few months, just cause it's yes. a, it's it's going to go very well for them, I'm sure. 
Yep, yep. There's a, a lot of potential there for different ways to put spins on the Battle Royale mode. And and their game is not... It's the best suited to really experimenting with this stuff because it's um, they're in a position where it, it it's feature complete for quite a while now. I mean, they're still in their beta season, whatever. I don't even know what that means anymore. I really actually don't know what that means Everything anymore. Everything is in beta season. Yeah, yeah. It was very, a very weird concept to me with this game. But it is... Uh, but they they are at a point where this game is it, it is essentially finished and they can mess around with stuff without having to put out fires every single day like some of the other games in the space and you know and player unknowns battlegrounds is very uh, regimented in what you expect from it and they have their war mode and even that doesn't work very well just because it's so counter to the battle royale idea um, but you know on top of that epic games you know they they make the unreal engine. So there's no one better on the planet than them at figuring out how to use that engine in interesting ways, and they could do it quickly. So, yeah, I, I think they're going to be able to do a lot of fun stuff with the offshoot modes for this game. Yeah, it's. I think there's going to be some very fun Avengers-related stuff happening in the future across multiple platforms, and mm-hmm. this is this is a good way to sort of tease into it. But I'm. I'm thinking that when you see Spider-Man coming out right now, I think that that's the the start of a whole new round of cool superhero games that are going to be a lot better than the ones that people are familiar with in the last, you know, 10, 15 years. It's it's a good time for comic books and games. Yeah, I, I, I do. I do know that Marvel has said that they're going to get serious about being on console again. And hopefully Spider-Man does really well and convinces them it's worth the effort. I mean, then they have that Avengers game coming from Square Enix. I think it's Avengers, right? I think that's, it's not X-Men. I think it's Avengers. Yeah. Uh, so that'll be cool as well. Okay. Let's, let's hop into the news. Does that sound good? Sounds great to me. All right. So uh, up top here, the very first story we have is about Nintendo announcing the Nintendo switch online system, basically their equivalent of Xbox live and PlayStation network. So, the basic details here are it's $20 a year. There's some other ways to pay, but that's that's the basic one that I think most people are going to go with. Um, it, it's by far the best deal unless you have a family, in which case there is like a $35 per year plan for up to seven people, I think they said. Eight. Eight, eight accounts total. Eight yep. accounts total. And they you can use those across different Switch systems, so you don't have to all be on the system, same system, which uh, is smart because they want to sell more than one system per family. Um, but the other details here are you get to play video games online something you could do right now, but that's going to go away once this like kicks off in September. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, in addition to being able to play games online, you will get a, a instant library of NES games, uh, 20 of them. They've announced 10 of them so far. A lot of the things you would expect, uh, super Mario brothers, super Mario brothers, three, uh, the legend of Zelda, um, balloon fight, tennis, a, a handful of others. Uh, the, the interesting thing here is they have reworked these games to be online. They haven't gone into too many details about what this means, but it sounds like um, for Zelda, for example, you will be able to pass the controller virtually, essentially online from you to your friend. And you could both be looking at the same game on your your individual systems from across the country or across the world or wherever. And when your turn's over, you just, I guess you guys both just hit a button. The other person gets control and they can take over from there. the games that do have head-to-head multiplayer um, tennis or whatever, you will be able to play those head-to-head. That will work, but they're not going to be adding like a race mode to Zelda, for example. I don't think it doesn't sound like that. Yeah, I there's I don't think they're going to be making substantive changes to anything besides just that two-player alternating or uh, simultaneous feature. And 
it's NES games. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it just feels like such a, a, a weak, low effort thing for them to be doing. But yeah, I mean, so they do say they're going to add more over time. And, you know, I, I'm at a, I'm, so my thinking here, well, let's get into this other part real quick. Let's finish up the last detail. Yeah. Cloud saves. Yep. Um, you get cloud backups. So this enables you to, if you lose your system, you can buy a new one. You can get a replacement from Nintendo if it breaks, and then you can restore your saves from the cloud. Uh, there are some issues with this and we'll get into that, into that right now. But uh, I'll say this. So my thinking of, of this is I'm going to spend $20 to continue to play games online with the switch. Uh, I play like rocket league or whatever every once in a while on there. Uh, it's, it's actually, it's improved a ton visually uh, and it's a really good experience. Now uh, I'll play Splatoon two here or that here and there. Uh, these games, you know, when smash brothers comes out, I'll, I'll want it. I want the option to be able to play that online. Yep. So I'm going to pay that money. So everything else kind of on top of that, uh, with the exception of, of cloud saves, which, you know, is maybe more fundamental. And we'll get into that. Uh, like the 20 NES games, that's, it's, it's a bonus. It's a thing that's a value add to make me question ever canceling it. And I get it. And I think that's, it's going to work. It's probably going to do its job where it's like, Oh, it's nice to have these games, I guess. Um, so, so that said, there are, there are some problems uh, first, and we'll get into this with cloud saves. Uh, the, the the thing is, Nintendo will be the only company that charges for the basic functionality of cloud backups. Uh, Sony, Microsoft, and then, you know, not even getting into Steam and, and all the ones on PC, but Sony and Microsoft both both offer options that are limited, limited in storage space. But even if you don't pay, you still get, a, 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 you know, saves in the background. So in case your system does blow up or something, it, it, it's rescued. Uh, that That's not going to be an option from N- Nintendo. But on top of that, like the 3DS had local backups where you could back up your SD card on a computer and you could use that. Nintendo would just have, I think it would just have to uh, reconfirm, like would have to reauthorize any games that you bought and that you put on that, on that SD card, but the saves would work just fine. And so people are getting pretty upset with Nintendo and asking for this saying this should be an option as well. Uh, No budging from Nintendo on that so far, but, but we'll see. Is that, is that something that, that matters to you? Well, you know, it, for me, the cloud saves thing hasn't been a, a huge deal, and it, it wouldn't be a deal to me at all if it was really easy to just back up everything from your Switch and just bring it over to your computer and just have it there. I have done only one transition of Switch content, and that's when I upgraded my micro SD card from the initial mm-hmm. really small one to a much bigger one. And I basically, I'm not going to say I lost everything, but I I did a transfer the way that I was supposed to be doing a transfer. And then I had to, for whatever reason, Nintendo made me go back and re-download all of my games. I didn't lose any of my saves, but despite the fact that I had transferred all the games over, none of them worked and they all needed to be re-downloaded, which is, I have a pretty substantial digital collection, so it was a lot. So it just it just seems to me that it would be so much easier if they just found a good way to let people back the stuff up on their computers without any sort of nonsense. It would just be it, nobody would be complaining about whether the cloud save feature worked if you just yeah. could do a transfer of your content from one device to another without it, you know, having a fit. But it, that's Nintendo has decided to lock everything down for its own reasons, and uh, you know, it, I guess it's working for them, but it just. You know, on the PlayStation or Xbox, it just seems so much simpler. Exactly, um, and I and I do 
get the benefits of those uh, on those systems, it, it really has helped me, especially when I have had uh, multiple versions of the same console in my house for whatever reason, uh, if I'm reviewing a new version of it. Uh, yep. that's It's been really good. Um, but even like just like traveling to a friend's house and, and, you know, or visiting family and having all that stuff there, if I need it, it'll pop right up. And it just works. I mean, especially I think it, it's especially good on the Xbox One. Uh, I've never had to even think about it or look at a screen that like has all my stuff in the cloud. It just all feels like it's on the system, uh, no matter which system I, I'm using. It's been very impressive. Um, so yeah, Nintendo. It, at least they're doing cloud saves. Yeah, I'm glad it exists. And I think with Nintendo, that's. I mean, yeah, that's. It's a low bar, but I, I've set a pretty low bar for Nintendo when it comes to online stuff. So I'm glad they're at least clearing that one. That, um, that's part of it. The other thing is the price for the service is so low. So it, it, yeah. and that's and it almost excuses anything that they do. I mean, when it's twenty yeah. bucks a year, <laughs> and, and you know, some people, I, I've I've never been of this mindset, but you know, some people when they were talking about the the family plan, which is thirty five bucks a year, they're pointing out that if you know divide through by eight, every person's paying you know four four bucks or something like that for you know their membership. I wouldn't personally do that, but if you're really cash constrained and you really need to find it's a an way option, to, you know, you know, cloud save all of a sudden you could do that. So, um, but at that price, it's, it's so cheap and you know, I, I it's not, a, it's not a major issue, I think for a lot of people. Yeah. And I think that's what the, my, my original thing was. They've just, I'm going to pay this. Like I'm yeah. not even going to think about it. It's just yep. going to be there. And you know, cloud saves coming along with that. I'm, I'm not even going to think about it not being an option if I didn't pay because of course, I'm going to pay that very, very small number. Uh, yep. That's just, it's a no-brainer. Yep. Uh, the, the other half of what we found out from, from this uh, was Nintendo finally admitted what we really knew all along. It's not bringing the virtual console forward onto the Switch. Um, so that, that, that branding is dead. And I think we, we all kind of know the real reason it did this. It's not going to figure out a way for you to bring your your purchases forward from the old system onto this one. So why not just throw that whole system out and start fresh and do do this a different way in a better way? I wish that they could just draw a line in the sand right now. I would almost be <laughs> I, I'd be willing to accept the idea that all that virtual console stuff was lost if they just made a promise with this system. That going forward, this is, you know, their platform, their architecture, right? you know, here's our digital store. It's just like the app store or whatever. You get to keep your stuff from generation to generation of device. It would be a lot easier to swallow if they at least made some sort of commitment like that. But that's the the new thing with Nintendo machines is you buy the stuff and then you have no idea whether it's going to run on whatever they release, you know, two years from now, three years from now. So I'm... I'm a bit put off by it because I did have some virtual console stuff that I really wanted to bring over, but um, they haven't, they haven't said it that they will never allow you to bring over any content right. in the future. They just said virtual console as a concept is gone. Right. Right. Yes, exactly. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people were freaking out about this a little bit, but uh, I think the takeaway here is this is probably going to end up being a good thing for retro games on the switch going forward. Uh, the virtual console used Nintendo's emulator, which was fine for a lot of games, uh, but it wasn't always the best. What this enables people to do is you could just like SNK is doing this. They're making their own retro game collection. They're going to sell it for like 20 bucks and it's going to have a ton of games and they can use their specific emulator however they want and modify it however they want to ensure their games run as best as possible. And yeah, it, it's, I think it's going to be a real 
a, a real benefit to old games on the system because people are going to want to have these. They're going to spend money for them. And you don't have to, you know, other things like Nintendo had a very strict and rigid pricing structure. Any game on the NES had to cost $5 uh, when that doesn't make any sense for a lot of those games. If Super Mario Brothers 3 is $5, all these other games at the same price is, they all look like really bad deals. And it kind of pushed, I think, a lot of people away from the concept in general. Pricing, so, on, pricing on retro has been a mess, though, for Nintendo it, to an extent that it's not on the other platforms. I mean, right. still got right now the SNK uh, Neo Geo games are basically eight bucks a pop, you know, for right. any Neo Geo game you want. And a lot of those titles, you go onto the PSN or, you know, the uh, Xbox store and you're seeing them for like a buck forty nine or mm-hmm. whatever. And it's the exact same game. So it's. I mean, Nintendo's just got a lot of work to do on pricing in general, yeah, I, but the I mean, retro that, stuff especially. That I think a, ACA, I think is the company or a hamster. I think hamster. They, yep. Yeah, they they do that. I think. I mean, I think they're just setting the price that high because people are paying it on the Switch. I think that's just the demand is so high for games right now that they can get away with that. I think that'll settle down uh, pretty quickly because the the store is definitely getting saturated. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think I think what happened uh, for the first time, as far as I'm aware. Last week, the store updated with its new games on Wednesday. Um, and I had like, I checked the store on maybe Monday or maybe even Tuesday. And then on Thursday, I checked it. And that, that new game release section had completely refreshed. There was no game from the previous week where, you know, early on, you know, it would take a couple of weeks for like the, the game from last month to finally drop off that list. But this time it happened in just one week. There was that many games. And it's a pretty lengthy list. I don't know exactly how many are on there, but I think it's between 20 and 30. So, yeah, that's, that's too, it's too many games coming out, maybe, whatever. I, I mean, I think discoverability is a problem no matter what, just because there's so many games these days. Uh, but but it, it's going to get to a point where you can't charge 8 bucks for an old uh, Neo Geo game anymore because there's just too much competition. I'm anxious for that to happen because I think that the Switch as a platform, when you think about what the hardware is capable of doing and how convenient it is, it would it would instantly become my number one platform for playing retro games because I would just take them any place. But because the prices are what they are right now, like, there's just there's no way in the world I'm going to pay eight bucks again, you know, for every Neo Geo game that I want. And I did do it for a couple of Fatal Fury right, games. Yeah. And, and I'm just like, you know, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait until the bundles start coming out or wait until the prices start dropping. And it, the, the moment that those prices start going down by a factor of like 50%, I feel like Nintendo is going to be unlocking, you know, the, the doors to a million people buying games all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. But the prices, the prices where they are right now, they are legitimately inhibiting a lot of purchases because they're just, they're at certain psychological price points that people just, they, a lot of people look at them and say, no way. But then again, there's apparently enough people who are saying yes way that Nintendo wants to skim off that crowd. So they'll, they'll yeah. do it until they have to. Yeah. I mean, we, we definitely know that's true. Uh, a couple of weeks ago on the show, we talked about uh, uh, Shovel Knight. It yeah. sold 2 million copies on the Switch uh, or, or some crazy number. It was a huge number. And it was it was about to catch up to the, uh, the, the DS or the 3DS and PC where it came out first. And has been selling there for a very long time, and those those systems are way ahead of all the other consoles. Um, but the Switch is gonna, is quickly catching up to that, and it's only been out for it was only mat- out for a matter of months at that point. Um, it, it's these games are you know and Shovel Knight's not a retro game; it's retro inspired. But I mean, it's 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 I think it's true across the board for every game on the Switch, uh, especially anything below the thirty dollar price point. 
they're just selling so well right now. Uh, yeah. it's, it's just such a money factory for indie developers that, uh, those prices are going to stay up for a while just cause people are paying them. And then, you know, you still have the option of bringing it down later and getting those, the budget conscious people uh, down the line. So there's, we'll, we'll th- see it, but it's going to take some time. I can only say there is no rational universe in which ultra street fighter two should be selling better right. than street fighter five. Like that's just, but yet, it, it speaks to, I think, the level of demand and loyalty and interest that there is for the Switch platform. They mm-hmm. obviously have a lot of people who are super jazzed about just being able to play games in this form factor. And, you know, things are selling in ways that would normally have been considered completely unrational, or, sorry, irrational in the past. But yet people seem to be very, very happy with the stuff they're getting on the Switch. And that counts for a lot with people. That Ultra Street Fighter 2 game is going to look like such a bad deal when the Street Fighter collection comes out. Yep. Like $40 for so, like a bunch of, like, yeah, it's it's crazy. So Well, think about the fact that on the PlayStation and on the Xbox, they're actually giving away an additional game. You get you get the game for the same price as you do on the Switch, and you also wind up with uh, Super Street Fighter 4 or Ultra Street Fighter 4 or something as well. So... They're doing that on those platforms because the game already exists. They don't even have to offer that premium on the Switch, and it's going to sell super well. Oh, yeah, anyway. it'll sell better for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So uh, th- that's our Nintendo update. We'll get into some of the other stuff right now. Um, I think uh, another big story: EA did its earnings report this uh, this past week, and during during the question and answer session, uh, one of the, uh, uh, the the analysts asked. EA CEO Andrew Wilson uh, about how he felt about especially FIFA Ultimate Team, but loot boxes in general in the face of regulation coming out of countries like Netherlands and Belgium. Um, I'm pretty, I, I'm pretty certain. I actually can't remember off the top of my head. I think Belgium did flag uh, Ultimate Team as violating its gambling rules. Um, so Wilson answered. He was. He essentially said it's not gambling. Gave a pretty long answer. Finished it up with saying we are going to push forward with FIFA ultimate ultimate team as it is, uh, uh, basically is what he said. So, you know, that comes down to, they are going to keep releasing this version of the game with, with loot boxes, with card packs is what they are in FIFA ultimate team. Um, they've already remixed battlefront two. It does seem like they are changing how they're doing ba- uh, uh, loot boxes in some of their games, just because of the backlash from fans. But FIFA ultimate team hasn't had that same level of backlash it continues to be a huge moneymaker for them. Even, you know, Madden Ultimate Team, all their sports Ultimate Team games uh, do very well. Uh, so, it, yeah, it makes sense they would want to continue this from a business perspective, especially when they're talking to investors on a, a an earnings call. Um, but, yeah, this is, this is them kind of maybe drawing a line in the sand saying, okay, yeah, you guys have gone this far, but FIFA Ultimate Team, you have to let us have that. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'll, we'll have to see how that goes for them. Uh, <laughs> I'm at a just, point where I, yeah, no, go ahead. Yeah. I was just thinking that just the idea that like they can't get away with it with star Wars, but yet the FIFA fan, for some reason, they just feel like they, they have invulnerability on that particular one. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I, I've got nothing more to add on that. I can just say, you know, <laughs> good luck to those guys, I guess. Yeah. They've, they've definitely, um, I think they did FIFA a little bit better in terms of you still have the core FIFA game and all its old modes that are unaffected. And then FIFA Ultimate Team is this thing to the side that was new and added, and that's the only place where these microtransactions are really, where they really exist and are effective, and it's built its own community to the point where if they wanted to, they could, and they've done this on mobile, but they could do it on console as well uh, and PC, release a free-to-play version of FIFA Ultimate Team uh, that 
that is completely separate from the core FIFA game. They they won't do that. It's it's too, they make too much money selling the sixty dollar copy every year, but they could. Uh, they and they would still make a ton of money doing that. Whereas you know Star Wars Battlefront, it was nope. This is the game, guys. <laughs> the game is also FIFA Ultimate Team, but you have no recourse. You can go play the the shitty single player mode, but have fun with that. Uh, so yeah, that's how that game got messed up. All right. Um, Moving on to a, the PS4 emulation of Parappa. Uh, Parappa, the rapper, an old uh, PS1 game, got remade for PSP, and then they re-released that game for PS4 with up-res textures. Turns out there was an official, in, in terms of it being made by Sony, PSP emulator inside of that game that was running it, and they were just they added some textures onto that. Um, so Sony has a working PSP emulator, uh, that it has that it could roll out at any time if it wanted to. It it seems like maybe that's not something that it's going to want to because of PlayStation Now. It's it's sort of it's cloud service where it, it serves you up games Netflix style that you stream to your systems, and you can play older games on there. They don't have PSP games yet, but it is a monthly fee that people have to pay. It's a good revenue stream for them, uh, and they have not they have not done this so far where they where they like release the emulator. Um, or, or even just like start emulating a ton of PSP games and selling them ad hoc. Um, it, I think there was also word that they have a working PlayStation 2 emulator as well, which is especially, especially sort of amusing because it like Xbox is getting so much goodwill from people for the way that they are making the Xbox One into this ultimate Xbox destination for the entire three generations of the Xbox. Uh, so you can play all your games on the system. They, they have not gotten there yet, but they are pushing towards that goal. Um, and, and, and on the other side, you have Sony who's being kind of stubborn with, with its PS now. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm wondering if this is going to be something that hackers sort of break out, but even if not, it would be nice if Sony maybe loosened up a little bit and said, you know what? You guys are right. Here's, here's your way to play your old games that you already own on the system. Uh, that would be nice. Well, yeah. So, I mean, PlayStation portable emulation, they've had it running on PCs now actively for years. And the mm-hmm. PSP emulators that are on PC typically are capable of at least rendering as well as, you know, the original games. In some cases, you can upscale and make the stuff look better. Um, so it's not from a technical standpoint, getting PSP emulating uh, emulation rather running on the PS4 isn't hard. Um, you know, it can run it can run on a much, much less powerful platform. Like, I mean, it's almost, it's almost entirely usable on a retro Pi, like a Raspberry Pi 3 system. So a PlayStation 4 has excessive power for that. And so what they were doing with Parappa was they apparently ran the original game code, but they also took a texture pack, which was upgraded for 4K resolution. And that's that was a major sort of addition to the game. So now you're able to get much higher resolution versions of the graphics that were originally in Parappa um, running alongside that emulator. So that's, that's really, really cool. I'm personally thinking that between PSP emulation, if they added that in, like you were saying, if they also put PS Vita on there as well, I can imagine people getting super hyped to just be able to play some of those Vita games on the PS4. It's interesting to me that they haven't tried to really do everything that they could to maximize some of this backwards compatibility stuff because they've got a lot of the titles already just sitting in the uh the playstation store so it wouldn't it wouldn't be super difficult for them to just continue to allow people to download them 
but it's um, there must be something about the Vita that was a little bit too difficult to uh, to emulate on the PS4 originally. I'm guessing that with the Pro or with how long they've been working on the Four at this point, they have to have gotten to the point where they're good enough to uh, you know emulate a system like that now. At least I would have to think so. Yep, I, I, I think you're. I think you're right. It's uh, yeah. It's it's just such a stark contrast to what Microsoft's been doing. But Microsoft has been doing it. Um, I, I I think they've been doing it for like that. It's been what they want to do. Uh, but it's also been a response to not having um a lot of the same big single player narrative blockbuster games that Sony has. So they need they need something to, that gets headlines, that gets their fans excited, and it's it's been working. Um, but I, I you know. Sony doesn't have to, and they're they're probably they're probably gonna hold back until they have to. Um, I, you know what? Real quick, this is, we didn't we don't have this on their list, but it, it was something announced today. Sony said they're gonna be focusing on four games at E3 this year. Um, that, that's a different thing than what they've done in the past, where it's just been one game announcement after another after another. Uh, the last couple, pretty much every E3 this generation, they have uh, they've established that that is the. Uh, the way to do E3, the way to get people excited about it, and now they are pulling back on the reins a little bit. I think. Do you? It, does this indicate anything to you about them doing something with PlayStation Five, or with them, uh, them maybe pulling back on investment in games and just letting the cash flow in on the system for a while from like no. third party games? I, I I don't think so either. Is it, do you think it indicates anything? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think if you take a look at a lot of these E3 presentations, they've been awful i mean like if you if you try as a viewer to sit down and watch them in some cases they're just like a non-stop assault on your senses with bad jokes told in between by whoever the person is who's hosting the event and they're not they're not really compelling experiences in the sense that you don't you don't really feel when you're done watching it like you've really gotten much out of them besides a list of games and some trailers and so the vibe that I got from the announcement was they're basically at this point trying to do deeper dives. They're trying to get people more interested in a handful of titles rather than barraging them with, you know, game after game after game after game and not necessarily many of them sticking. Um, so I guess from my perspective, um, it's basically illustrative of them wanting to get people more emotionally invested in a handful of titles that they care about than trying to just drop a thousand titles in somebody's face and say, you know, which ones interested you. Um, that having been said, you know, I, I, if somebody says to me, listen, we're going to be spending 15 minutes on stage demonstrating death stranding or something like that. I just, I don't know if I even really want to watch 15 minutes of some of these games. It could, it could be same way too much time. So here's my thinking. I I think that Sony has done a good job of knowing its audience, knowing who's watching E3 Um, coming out and, and, and doing the assault on the senses of one trailer after another has worked for the people who tune in every E3 who are, who are already making lists in their head of the games that they think are going to be big announcements. Um, the people that are going to freak out when final fantasy seven remake and Shenmue three or whatever get announced, uh, it, it, that has worked for them, uh, for that audience. I, I think why Sony is pulling back, however, is because I, uh, they've done this thing where it's, it's sort of been inflated every year, one after the other. Um, and, the expectations game gets built up and built up and built up to the point where this last PSX 
People were expecting another one of these nonstop, you know, huge announcement factories. And what they got was, uh, you know, a, a couple of conversations about some interesting games that people are going to love when they come out. Uh, and it was disappointing to a lot of that, that audience. They, the people were not happy with what they saw there. But I think Sony knows it can't just do this same thing every year where it, 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 there are only so many Final Fantasy VII remakes and Shenmue 3s that can drag out on stage. Um, they're going to run out of those eventually. And if they start, you know, just announcing stuff that's coming out in 2023 in 2018, they're, they're going to get to a point where people are going to start saying this, this whole thing is a charade. This isn't fun anymore. This is just, this is just them essentially lying to us to get us excited, to get us, you know, to blind us to the fact that, you know, there are four games here that are actually coming out that are good that they could have spent time on. And I think Sony wants to get away from this, this sort of arms race that they've put themselves in. And by just in 2018, E3 seems like what they're doing is they're pulling off the bandaid and just saying, let's, let's completely shift gears. Let's do something totally different. Let's tell people we're doing it differently. So they, when they tune in, they know what to expect and they're going to be disappointed, but they were going to be disappointed with our showing this year anyhow. So let's just embrace that and, and really just, you know, I mean, yeah. And that's just the way it is. The people in uh, this, you know, reset era the other day were like, what are you more excited about? Like getting the games at the holidays or E3 where you don't get the games, you just get to get the announcements. And everyone said E3. Everyone did. That's just the way that they think about this stuff. It is a thing to get excited about. Um, and so this, I think the C3 was probably going to be a disappointment to a lot of those people, at least, at least from Sony. Uh, so that they're just like, you know what, we need to play this smart. And I think that's what they're doing. I, it's, it's, they're probably still going to get a lot of big buzz for stuff like the last of us two. I bet these demos are going to be, they're going to all be of the quality of those God of that God of war demo uh, from last awesome. year. They, yeah, they, and awesome. they will be, I'm sure I have no doubt that they're going to do some really compelling stuff. Uh, when they do their live stream or stage show, I don't even know if they if they've announced exactly how they're going to be dem- de- demonstrating these things. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think they're going to do a really good job with that stuff, and they th- th- those are the games they're going to have to sell in the next six months. So, I get a, I, prob- well, Death Stranding, who knows? But everything else, yeah. There's probably another element to it too, which is that a lot of these companies that are producing AAA games at this point are putting on their own events. And so, you know, to the extent that Bethesda or somebody else decides they're going to have their own showing of a bunch of titles, Sony at that point has to make a determination. Are we going to just simply repeat the same trailer that, you know, they already showed their event or they're about to, I mean, there's timing issues too. So, you know, is your event before whoever the other publisher is, are they holding off on this trailer or whatever? If this, if the whole thing is just going to be one big trailer fest, um, in some cases, they have to make decisions about whether they are going to repeat footage, try to get something new, bring somebody on stage for some sort of discussion, do a live demo. And I'm sure that the coordination task of just doing that on an annual basis, juggling all the stuff to figure out whether something's even worth putting on stage for the entire Sony crowd or whether it might have a brief window of Microsoft exclusivity or whatever they're going to do, it's, the coordination's got to be a pain. So something had to give, and I think focusing on a handful of titles and then, you know, maybe, you know, focusing a large amount of time on a handful of titles and then focusing a little bit on a handful of additional things that seem worthwhile. Cause they did say they're going to do some, 
some third party titles. Right. I think that's yes. probably better than what they've done with like, you know, indies in the past where they'll literally flash an indie game on the screen for, yeah. you know, they, three didn't, seconds. they didn't even do that last year. They completely, completely didn't have indie games on, on stage at all. Yeah. Because uh, they're like, we can't pay them the, an, enough time. And they were right. The way that they were doing it last year wouldn't have worked. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe, maybe it'll be for the better. I think it's a good thing to see these companies experimenting a bit with the format because I yeah, think they, they had gotten stale and Nintendo, I mean, I remember there was an uproar when they decided that they were going mm-hmm. to start doing things differently. But yet, I, I really feel as if Nintendo, the way they're communicating with people now with directs, I think is doing a great service. And I think it's generating, obviously, a huge amount of interest in titles at a time right before they're about to get released. Or at least enough enough before they're about to get released to generate the hype that they need to sell well. And that's that might be what Sony's formula is, basically saying, listen... We've got a handful of games that are coming out relatively soon. Let's focus on the ones that are coming out soon and not worry so much about the stuff that's a year or two years off. And that, yeah, that could be good. That, that short window of, of hyping a game up and getting it out relatively quickly afterwards. That seems like that's where the industry is shifting to in a big way. Um, I think fallout four was the, uh, the first really big example of that announced revealed at E three. It was out that no- November. Um, Sony, I think, is at a, in a situation now where they're realizing they have games like Days Gone, where they've showed it, they, they've shown it a couple times now, and they're getting diminishing returns on showing this game, uh, where it's it's not a sequel, it's an unknown quantity, um, and it's not from you know it's it's not from Hideo, Hideo Kojima, so it's this game where it's like okay, I don't even really know what I'm looking at, I don't know if I like what I'm looking at with this game, so it's just sort of all right, another one of these trailers, like call me when I can play it. Yeah, and then, and there it's it's so it's a risk of of having these games come out every E three and then every PlayStation experience you know June and December June and December June and December and it's like okay is this game out yet uh, there all you know there is one developer that can do that and it is Hideo Kojima you can show Death Stranding every show with something new and he'll do it because that's what he he loves to to do that with these games is get people excited through weird trailers and they're always going to be different he's going to have something new. That is part of his game making process, but he is alone in doing that. Everyone else, it seems like every other developer is like, okay, please don't bother us with this. We'll do something for E3, but we're not going to do something new for PlayStation Experience. I mean, like last year, uh, Last of Us had, uh, it, it showed up at PlayStation Experience, but it wasn't at E3, I think. I think that's how it went. So it was, it was this example of like, okay, these developers cannot be put through this situation where twice a year they are developing specific demos or, or even trailers uh, that are new and bespoke for these events. It's just too much to put on them when they're actually trying to build a game. Um, so yeah, so Sony's reacting to a lot of these factors. I, I think they'll, they'll benefit in the long run from doing it like this. Even if I, I do think a lot of people are going to be disappointed, just, you know, nothing you can do about that. Maybe, maybe some of the games are going to be so great though, that people won't be disappointed. Maybe the, yeah, that, I mean, suddenly be on, on you know a really excellent year for software and some of these titles do sound really really good so it just i guess it depends what your expectations are if you're hoping for a psvr this won't be the year for it but right it's, yeah you know. and, th- and that sting is not going to last long even if it is a sting because in a month or two later people are going to be playing spider-man and they're going to yeah. forget about what e3 was and they're going to be happy with like oh man we got god of war and spider-man this year sony's having a great year so so yeah okay we got a, a, quite a bit of news to get through, so we'll get through the rest of this stuff relatively quickly. Um, Chrome, Google made an update to Chrome that 
affects the way content auto plays. This is great news, right? We, we all hate uh, auto playing ads, auto playing videos. Uh, they're the worst. They really are. I, I, I despise them. Uh, but this had an unforeseen effect and Google did not, did not do a lot to warn the people that were using this type of content in legitimate ways. And this would primarily affect flash game developers. Um, a lot of flash games are now just broken. Oh my God, my Google Chrome just, or my Google assistant heard me and started talking and freaked me out. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, so uh, a lot of these games are just broken. They just don't work anymore. Um, and the developers aren't going to be able to go back and fix them for a variety of reasons, whether it's time or money or access or, or anything. So Flashpoint, a, uh, a you know independent web- website, is doing what it can to archive all these games and save them from what would otherwise be a permanent broken state or permanent deletion from the web. Uh, and I, I hope they can, I hope they can do this. I hope they can get to a point where they have almost everything you can ever remember playing as a kid or whatever on, you know, internet Explorer when you were in school or whatever. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's in a sad state and hopefully these, this, these people are going to be able to rescue the bulk of what we remember playing. I think the whole concept of archiving old games is phenomenal. And I'm, even though I never thought that I would live long enough to see flash <laughs> games archived in that way. Right. It's not weird. It, yeah. It's just like, it's, it's, uh, the end of an era, I guess for flash, but that's, it's super cool. They're doing that. Yep. Uh, up next. Uh, so we got some more E3 stuff. We talked about Sony's E3 presence. Um, E3, I wrote this the other day. E3 has already begun essentially. Um, uh, a story we, another story we didn't put on the list, but it's actually what kind of broke a lot of the stuff. Uh, Walmart Canada, that website put a bunch of stuff, a bunch of, a bunch of listings into its, its data database. Um, stuff like rage Two, uh, a new assassin's creed, a, a bunch of games. Forza they, horizon they, five, Forza yeah, horizon big five surprise. which, well, well, it's a huge surprise because there hasn't been a four yet. Makes me sort oh, yeah, of wonder. Yes, good point. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Forza Horizons Five, which I'm like, all right. Yeah, maybe maybe Walmart shouldn't be the ones kicking off everybody's E3, but yeah, okay. not? congratulations to them on getting some attention for that. That's good work. Yeah, and you know what? I think a lot of people are like, "Oh man, these companies must be so mad right now that Walmart has has spoiled this stuff." Uh, to be fair, Walmart has come out and said that they were just speculating. I don't think that's the case, though. It does seem like some of these games are real. I think the, the best evidence for that is people were looking at this list and saying Rage 2. There's no way they're making a Rage 2. And then a few a few hours later, a the Rage game account on Twitter, uh, which is the official Rage account from Bethesda and its software, reactivated and basically started trolling Walmart Canada with the uh, images of its database in the rage two game. And they're like, this is all wrong. This is wrong. That's wrong. There's no, there's no uh rating pending thing on here. So this isn't even good for the ESRB. It was, it was, you know, it was some funny stuff and it's like, okay, rage two is real. Uh, and Bethesda is leaning into this and they're just like, they're, t- they're rolling with it. It seems like they have, uh, all these companies have sort of built these hatch doors where it's like, okay, if the game leaks, here is our strategy that we kick off you know, immediately, uh, you know, everyone have, everyone be ready. We're going to need to like, let people know when, when we're going to announce it, like through a bunch of stuff. So get a bunch of like teasing images ready that we can put out there. And if it leaks early, we have this stuff ready to go and we could just kick into it and we have a plan in place. It seems like at least Bethesda has done this. So, uh, following that tweet, the official Bethesda account has started, uh, putting 
essentially like cryptic messages on its account through images. There was one of a uh, of Big Ben with the time set to five fourteen, and another one of a spaceship flying into space when and it had two numbers on the side five and fourteen. So the assumption there is May fourteenth, but Bethesda is going to have announcement. That's Monday. Um, we're recording right now. By now, who knows? They could have officially announced this. Uh, they haven't so far. But it seems like that is what they're they're leading into, into into teasing. It could just be a trailer drop or something, and it could be Rage Two. It could be all of their games that they're getting ready to announce that they will then elaborate on at E3. The point here is that they are like May is when E3 begins for a lot of these companies. Um, in addition to Bethesda, we've got, started to get teases from from EA and Dice about Battlefield. Um, they put a an Easter egg into Battlefield uh, One, where if you get through this door, you do a bunch of puzzles. Uh, you can find this pipe, and this pipe has a leaky drop noise that is in Morse code that sends people to a website that just says, or I think it's like battlefield.com slash uh, battlefield will never be the same or never the same, something like that. And the website just says May 23rd, uh, hashtag battlefield. So we know that's probably coming as well. That's probably going to be the Battlefield 5 announcement finally. Um, there are There's some other stuff happening in May. Uh, but they, they, they have definitely gotten away from this idea of everything needs to be close to E3. Uh, a month out is starting to be the uh, a, a pretty standard time to take a day for yourself, for your game, where, you, where your game can own that day, get all the headlines, and then at E3, while people are still fawning over the Sony press conference or whatever, uh, you know, you don't have to try to compete with that stuff anymore. All you need to do is inform the fans that were already made excited by the reveal in May. So that, does that sound like something like, I think it's smart. I mean, that sounds smart to me. What do you think? It, it's, it's super smart, but I mean, it's also like, you see this happen with a lot of different trade shows. The same thing happened with, um, you know, E3, uh, sorry, same thing happened rather with uh, CES rather like, you know, CES comes in January, a thousand companies all show up. They're all basically announcing things within the same three day period of time. So what winds up happening? So now there's an event that comes before E3 where, you know, a hundred companies get together and they make their announcements before. Then there's an event that's two days before E3. Then the next year there's like an official, sorry, I keep saying E3, but right before uh, CES rather, where there's, you know, an official pre-CES event where there's announcements taking place. At some point you have the event. You have so many pre-events, and then you have pre-announcements that come before the pre-events. You ask yourself, you know, what's the point of even doing the trade show? And I guess the answer is they want to get as many people as they can into that area to come and actually play and experience the games. So they're going to hold the show anyway. But everybody who has something that's really worthwhile and that they've spent, you know, whatever it is, millions of dollars to develop, they want to make sure that that title is not going to get completely buried. And so it doesn't surprise me at all that a company, you know, like Bethesda or, you know, EA or anybody or Activision, that they would want to give their best titles some exposure before it just gets thrown in with a thousand other games that journalists have to cover all at the same time. So uh, to me, the biggest question is just when there's a leak of some Morris code being found in a pipe or something, is anybody really discovering that or is that just something that like, you know, somebody, oh. somebody from the company leaked out to someone, you might want to go check out this, this thing that's hidden in this room after you finish 12 puzzles sort of thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there's, I, there's 
almost certainly some of that stuff. A lot of these things come from like uh, fan discords that have game developers in them. Yeah. And those game yep. developers can be putting pe- pointing people in the right direction. Uh, I mean, wh- whether it's real or not, th- there's definitely reasons to be making it l- an Easter egg hunt because, you know, people love mysteries. People love mystery boxes. Um, it, it, you know, e- like there, people see meaning when there is a thing that they don't know everything about and they're just getting little hints at. There's like, okay, th- something important must be in there. And a lot of times there's not. And that's fine. Like I, we've all seen Lost, but it, it's it is it is what it is, and people want that stuff. So it's good to just lean into it and figure out ways to to do it because, yeah, gets people talking. They, they um, make even the process of learning about a game into a game, and I think that's fun for people. Yes, yeah, yeah. They're definitely they're definitely doing some pretty smart stuff with that with, with all that. I, I will say that if you do have a very if you have Elder Scrolls Six, if you're Bethesda, if you have that or you have a, any new game from Bethesda game studios uh, where it's like, you know, it's clearly in this mo- mode. And if it's like this new Starfield game, which has been rumored for a long time now, uh, which I, I've, I've heard, and I don't, I actually don't know if this is real. I've, this is sort of secondhand information. It is a, basically a fallout spinoff in space. We'll see if that, that turns out to be the case. I don't know. But if you have that, that can be something where you do hold it for your E3 press conference because that is the game that will dominate. And if you are dominating E3, that is uh, that's a, a much bigger deal than even owning a day in May because everyone's paying attention at, at that time. Uh, you are you show how much how much interest there, there is in it because of all these games. This is the game that everyone's talking about. But unless you have a guarantee like that, one of these games like there's a handful of games that that would have that that potential. Yeah, I think finding finding a day a month earlier in the, in the weeks preceding E3 is is probably the best strategy overall for just about anything else. Yeah, it's I, I think there's an interesting sort of balance because on the one hand, think about Nintendo with like Smash Brothers. If they had held that announcement 100% until E3 and it was just a shock at E3 and nobody had any idea before E3 started that they were about to release a new one. Um it could have very easily been the biggest surprise announcement at the show, but instead right. by announcing it, you know, a couple months out, all of a sudden you've got competitive smash players who were able to show up and you know yeah. participate in a tournament and the amount of hype. I mean, it's weird. Nintendo, they certainly haven't lost their touch for the theatrics. I mean, they, they no, found a way to put a tease in at the very end of an otherwise very boring Nintendo direct. And now the entire world's on fire over that game. So now they've got two months where they can build up anticipation. And I think, frankly, at least for that title, it's it's probably a smarter strategy than just dropping it at E3 and hoping that you know people get excited about it there. They would have, but this gives people a chance to get really, really hyped about it. Yeah, if you have one of those, those insular communities that is gigantic, but also always talking to one another, always sh- sharing theories, always sharing complaints or whatever, they're just they're, they're talking about every little detail of these games. Um, building up hype over a matter of months is is a, a an asset that you really have to take advantage of. Yeah, maybe maybe um, that's the the strategy to go with an existing IP and then with new IP. Exactly. You you've got to just take the risk on dropping it at the show. Yeah, I think I think yeah, because I mean, we, you, for those it, it would make sense just because you know you have people paying attention because it is E three and you can show it off there and then you know you have a, an event maybe later that just focuses on it where you can give more details. Um, and that could be, you know, a couple months before the game comes out. 
Um, okay, we got these last two stories. Let's get to them. Actually, let's let's do this last one. Why don't you uh, give me the details on uh, this display? Uh, J- Japan Display, I think is the name of the company, right? Yeah. So Sony has a joint venture where it's making screens, and the company is called Japan Display. And so um, Japan Display announced that they're going to be coming out with some ridiculously high resolution uh, screens that are specifically for VR. Um, one of the screens is over 800 pixels per inch. The other one is just over a thousand pixels per inch. Like what which, is my, what, my phone is like 400 ish, right? Well, yeah. So if you're using it, the most phones these days are in the 300 to 400 sort of range. And there was a point at which like back like eight years ago, Apple announced the retina display and they're like, listen, this is the end. This is the end of, <laughs> you know, screens. You're not going to need any more pixels than this because it, you know, this is high res as you need to get. And people, and then we put them on our anything. face with a bunch of goggles. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, so all, all of a sudden you start putting magnifying lenses on your eyes and putting the screens an inch away and suddenly retina is no longer, you know, enough. And so the, the new concept is a screen that's right next to your face is going to need to become, you know, much higher resolution to avoid the the screen door effect, um, or much higher pixel density specifically. And so, they are going from right now, like the HTC um, Vive Pro, that is a, a little bit over 600 pixels or yeah, pixels per inch, and then these are going to leapfrog it by going to 800 and a thousand. But the the really interesting thing about it is. That Japan Display, which obviously, you know, a Sony company is basically saying, listen, um, the reason that we're going to a thousand and that we think that other companies are going to go to a thousand is because we are going to see screens showing up in these VR headsets that are smaller than ever before and with bigger and better magnifying lenses in front of them. And that is going to enable the headsets to become, for the very first time, significantly smaller than they are right now. If the screens shrink, they can make the entire headset smaller and lighter and easier for people to wear. Um, so that, that from a technological standpoint is really cool, but it's also interesting because Sony doesn't really make other VR stuff. And so when you hear a company that Sony is, you know, uh, joint venturing in saying, guess what, we've got these new VR screens and, you know, what are they going to go into? Maybe they're going to be selling them to other companies, but it sure sounds like this is the first tease of what PSVR 2 is going to look like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sure they will sell them to other companies, but I, I would imagine the main idea here is to get it into the next generation of PlayStation VR, which would be very exciting. Um, that get, Getting rid of the screen door is a barrier. Um, it's something that I think once it's gone, people will never be able to go back to yep. what we what we had yep. uh, it's something you live with now and you forget about it after a little bit but once you get to that point of clarity people are just it's, it's going to be a completely different thing yeah and, and the levels of clarity that they're talking about right now it's it's interesting because sony is one of the companies that's announcing things that you're going to see them over the course of the next couple of weeks there's going to be announcements from sony from google and lg which are working together on one that's even higher uh pixel density it's like in the 1400 range Jeez. and then there's another company out of taiwan that says they've got one that's t- like 2800 which is <laughs> which is just uh, the numbers are staggering but it's all about finding ways to make tiny tiny little screens that are just super packed with pixels so it's it's a cool time to be alive yeah that's that's some very cool stuff um let's hit this last story and then get out of here um 
I, I'm excited about this. Valve announced the Steam Link app. So if you're familiar with the Steam Link, that is a piece of hardware. It's this little hockey puck that sits on top of your TV or whatever in your entertainment system. And what it does is it beams games that run on your PC in another room to your TV, you know, wirelessly or over an Ethernet connection um, over your network, essentially. And, you know, this was great because it was an easy way to play PC games on your television. I use one. I've been really happy with it. So now Steam has built or Valve has built all of this technology to, you know, transfer your video and your audio and even your microphone audio uh, from one device to the other over a network. They are dropping the hardware aspect or at least their dedicated hardware, uh, you know, point of delivery for this for this technology. And they are bringing it to iOS and Android as a free app just called Steam Link as well. Uh, the big thing here is it'll support 4K and 60 frames per second. So if you have a, a super high def, you know, like a if you have an iPad Pro, for example, you're going to be able to take advantage of that of that Retina screen or Mega Retina. I don't know what they call it. So you know, even higher resolution than you know just the typical Retina. It it's going to look very good on there, and it's going to run at 60 frames per second. And if you have a, a five gigahertz wireless router. Uh, it should work pretty flawlessly um, as long as you're within the range of, of 5G, which is a little bit shorter than what I think most people consider Wi-Fi, acceptable Wi-Fi. I think most people don't have experience with 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi. Uh, it's not bad. It's not it's bad. Not, you, you, you can use it throughout a house or an apartment. You, you can, but it's it's not unheard of like for a house that has 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi coverage to have some dead spots when it comes to 5 gigahertz. But yep. The, the yeah that's just something where it's like that's going to keep getting better and for now is you know you can get 4k 60 frames per second video over a five gigahertz network no problem uh and it's gonna look it's gonna look really good and enables you to play anywhere in your house it's some pretty powerful stuff um so i will be testing that next week i think and then it comes out the week after that um so looking forward to giving that a shot and seeing how it looks. And you have to supply um, your own controller for that, right? Like just to, you bring any PC controller that you so want and it just works. I think this is, this is what I'm very curious about. You could definitely use any Bluetooth controller or uh, MFI. You're, you're the Apple guy. What does MFI stand for? Isn't that like uh, made for iPhone, made, made for, for iPad. That's a good yeah. name. <laughs> yeah. God, I hate that so much actually, but <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. So yeah, if it's made for iPhone, made for iPad, it'll, that'll work as well. Uh, the steam controller will, will work. Um, pretty much any fo- anything that hooks up to your f- phone that is also that would also work just on your computer. Like, and that, at this point, that includes includes the Nintendo Switch Pro controller. Uh, it's it's so much so much stuff works with Steam now. Uh, if you can connect it with Bluetooth, it'll work. Uh, any other connection will work, I'm sure. Um, and uh, the the thing that I was curious about though is. I want to see if touchscreen controls work flawlessly because there is a way to stream your games to your phone right now. Uh, NVIDIA has their game stream stuff. And that means if you have an NVIDIA tablet and Android device, and then you also have uh, an NVIDIA GPU in your PC, you could stream the games from your PC to that tablet. uh, And that does support uh, touchscreen. I've used that uh, on a bunch of games, Uh, but there is this, this community made, um, or just sort of this mod of that technology called Moonlight that is on Android and iOS that you can get on any device, whether it's made by NVIDIA or not. And if you still have to have an NVIDIA GPU, but you could stream stuff from that GPU to any device, but the touchscreen controls have never worked for me in Moonlight. So I get something like Into the Breach, and I'm like, oh man, this would be awesome with just touchscreen controls on my couch. Uh, Sure, I could break out the, the, the controller and use that. It'll work. 
but man, touch touch controls would just uh, would, would lower the barrier and barrier to entry so much that I would probably be playing it all the time anytime I was just watching Netflix or whatever. So we'll see if that works. I would expect it will because a lot of games are touchscreen capable on on Steam now, just because Windows 10 has been out for long enough and it has native touchscreen control. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I'm going to test it out. I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to see what you say about it because yeah. I, I, I simultaneously would love to be able to play a lot of these games on touchscreen. But then again, I've had so many experiences using iOS stuff over the years where just touchscreen sucks as an input method, at least for right. for a lot of Twitch games. So your, your oh, yeah. review and your experience is going to really inform whether I even give something like this a try. Yeah, I, I uh, for that Moonlight app, I actually use an 8-bit Doe controller and 8-bit Doe also makes a, a, a phone uh, holder or holster essentially that connects to the controller and it connects to the phone. It turns it into a little portable device. And that's what I, I use a lot of times if I'm actually going to get serious about it, but I need to also be near my baby or whatever. Um, and that, that works fine. I expect that to still be the case when it comes to Steam Link, but we'll see. Okay. Uh, that's, that's going to wrap it up. Uh, any other thoughts, any other things you've been, uh, you, that have been happening in the world of games you want to talk about Jeremy or should we just end this podcast? I'd say we can end it, but I'm looking forward to being able to do this with you again. I think this, yeah, was for sure. This was fun. great. Yeah, absolutely. This was a really good time. I, I'll tell you what, during, uh, you know, around the time when, when we're getting ready for E3, we'll probably do another one of these. We could probably have you on with, with me and Mike and, uh, maybe a few of the other guys and we'll see if, uh, see if we can't just kind of do a, 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 a prep show where we get everyone in the mood and ready to deal with E3 and all of its madness. Well, by next week, I should be able to actually talk about the embargoed thing that I can't discuss right now. That's right. I, I, yeah. I am, I am very anxious to share some thoughts about that one. So we'll I mean, hopefully we could, do it, I mean, it It is that Hyrule Warriors game that has been out before. You just can't really say anything else about it. So we'll have to, we'll have to have you on maybe, maybe we can have you on next week. Maybe we could just kick Mike off permanently and get you on here. That sounds good to me. <laughs> I, I can just pop in for that one segment. I could do okay. that. Okay. There we go. That. Perfect. All right. Uh, I, I think then let's go ahead and have you tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at Horowitz, which is H-O-R-W-I-T-Z, or you can find me on VentureBeat GamesBeat, where I write all sorts of exciting stuff about games and Apple and VR and 5G. And I am Jeff Grubb on Twitter. Uh, you can also uh, find me on YouTube.com slash Jeffrey Grubb. I've been posting some... I posted my, my Fortnite videos on there, so you can see me playing as Thanos and, and that little strategy I described earlier. You can see how that works uh, in a little bit more detail in that video. Um, I think it, it, if you kind of follow those steps, you should have some pretty good luck getting to the getting the thing and getting it eventually. Um, I'm trying to get back into streaming on twitch.tv slash Jeff Grubb. Again, very busy. E3 coming up has just turned into this thing where it's like, oh man, it is already here in a big way and taking over my life. Uh, so anytime I think about, oh, I can I could stream on Twitch right now, it actually turns on, it turns into, oh, I could be doing some work instead. So, um, so yeah, I'll, I'll try to get back on there though and play some games, to see, uh, see if I can hang out with some of you folks. Uh, other than that, we'll be back next week. Uh, again, you can always find more of us on GamesBeat.com, uh, and we'll try to get this uh, the next episode out maybe a little bit earlier in the week. Try to get back on that early week schedule. Uh, but for now, thank you for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Have a good one and bye.